we, we would do the whole Easter egg hunt thing growing up, right? But it was always like the gifts weren't quite the gifts of Christmas. You know what I mean? The, the Easter egg hunt was, it was great, but it was, it was kind of like the no-name brand Christmas. <laughs> and I, I never really got it. And, and I'm just scanning the room for who's here. Like, the Easter bunny is not even convincing. You know what I mean? Like, comparatively, Santa Claus at least has some historical precedent. But Easter is the event that anchors us. Without Easter, celebrating Christmas, who cares? Easter is what anchors us as followers of Jesus. My grandfather, he was a a minister, and... I remember sitting in a service one time where he would talk about that we were an Easter people as followers of Jesus. We're an Easter people. That, I never got it. That sounded like a funny thing to say as a kid. But, but I think this is the, the essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That we are an Easter people. That the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, I'm convinced, is the most significant event in human history. And without it, Christianity doesn't make sense. Without the resurrection, I'm out of a job. We might as well go home. There are better things to do on a Sunday morning. (laughs) If the resurrection didn't happen. To put it in, in Easter terms... I'm putting all my eggs in that basket, all right? If it didn't happen, Christianity, my worldview, what I've placed my hope in, it doesn't matter. Because the whole thing rises and falls on whether Jesus rose from the tomb. If it did happen, then the world is a different place. Paul, in... in, the first century of the church, as he traveled around talking to people about the Jesus that he encountered, that he used to persecute his followers, and now he became one of the greatest mouthpieces of the early church. His greatest criticism he received was when he talked about the resurrection of Jesus. Like, he could go around and talk about Jesus' claims of divinity. He could go around talking about how the old covenant has been done away with and a new covenant is here. He could go and and talk about all kinds of controversial things. But when the resurrection came up, that's when people are like, you're kidding me, Paul. And as he wrote to a city called Corinth, this is like the Las Vegas of the ancient world, right? And there were many there that are like, Okay, we get this whole thing of like Jesus taught some great stuff. He was a fantastic guy. He was pro- he's definitely a prophet. We, we're interested in our lives like being led by his teachings. But do we have to believe this whole resurrection thing? Like that seems like maybe a step too far. So Paul in his letter, his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15 is like one of the most gorgeous explanations of the beauty of the resurrection. Paul says this in in 1 Corinthians 15. It's up on the screen. Paul says, And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, then we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Paul lays it out here. Listen, if this didn't happen, 
then, then none of what we do makes sense. Your faith is useless. You're still guilty of your sins. And people should pity us for giving our lives over to something like this. But because of the resurrection, we can trust what Jesus says. If the resurrection did happen, it means that that we need to suddenly take seriously everything that this guy did and said. Like, Jesus made some pretty bold statements in his lifetime. He had all these claims of divinity, that he was going to be the, the king of Israel, that he would tear down the temple and build it up in three days, that we were to love our enemies and not to fight against them, that we are to lay down our own wills and follow him. He talked about how he was going to die and to rise again. Like, to be able to say, like, I don't want to, like, claim that Jesus is who he says he is, but he was, like, a good moral teacher and I'll I'll follow his teachings. Like, you can't really do that because he said some of this, like, crazy outlandish stuff. Like, you can't just, like, take the meat and spit out the bones, so to speak, of what you want with what Jesus said. Like, he's either who he said he is, or he's not. But if the resurrection happened, I'm going to trust the guy who predicted his death and his resurrection, and it happened. If the guy died and rose from the grave, all of a sudden, every other thing that he said that's recorded in the Gospels has extra weight to me now. It's not just some book about some intriguing figure from human history, some some prophet or religious teacher. All of a sudden, there is a weight to what he says that I have to consider with more depth now. If the resurrection happened, we can trust what Jesus said. What he says about who he is, of whether he is the Son of God, whether he is divine, what he says about who I am, and and what it means for me to live the good life, what it means to treat those who hate me, what it means to live out my sexuality, what it lives to worship and to live in God's world in relationship to my neighbors around me, the resurrection should shift our perception of Jesus from just being an intriguing historical figure who who makes us uh, 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 question what it is this guy's saying. Go from someone who we just raise our eyebrow at as we hear about him in a history class to actually the Son of God who's worthy of worshiping. Because of the resurrection, the cross makes sense. Like if if you were someone around the first century and you see this guy that people have been following up on a Roman crucifix, like you know his run's dead. Like, no one's going to follow him anymore. Rome stomped him out. Without the resurrection, the cross just remains a tragedy. It remains a sad but predictable end for someone who claimed to be king under the rule of the Romans. This is what Rome did. You claim to be king, we'll kill you. Jesus just seemed like another one of those If the resurrection didn't happen, the cross is just a tragedy. We spent the last six weeks talking about the cross as this means of atonement, right? Of bringing God and humanity back together. 
If the resurrection didn't happen, that's just the wishful thinking of people who have committed something to this guy. If the resurrection didn't happen, we're just, like, like the event of the cross is just a tragedy. All of our ideas about atonement and the cross meaning something is wishful thinking if the resurrection didn't happen. Let let me show you. If you've been with us, you'll recognize these themes that we've been working through. Through through the lens of of sacrifice, the resurrection means that Jesus, in the language of Hebrews, is ascended as the true high priest who sits in heaven, has his feet up on a footstool, and he doesn't need to come and to sacrifice anything ever again to make peace between God and humanity. Because of the resurrection, his job's done. There's no other means necessary to make peace with God and humans. Through the lens of exile, the resurrection means that that Jesus has ventured into our exile and even through death itself, and he's blazed the trail back for you and I to come home where we're welcomed and where we belong. Through the lens of, of ransom, That Jesus' life, which was paid to death or Satan as a payment to free us from our slavery to death and to the enemy, doesn't leave death and Satan as winners in that transaction. That the resurrection means that God wins. Through the lens of substitution, it means that God's justice is shown to be perfect. That even though he condemned sin in the flesh of a sinless man, he raised him from death, proving Christ's innocence, and that our guilt and our sin is actually removed from us. Through the lens of victory, Jesus has, in fact, defeated and disarmed the powers and principalities, showing that the power of Rome and of religion and of death itself are subservient to the true king. In our conversation of temple from Good Friday, the separations between God and humanity truly no longer exist. As Jesus, in his resurrection and ascension, sends the Spirit to dwell in and among us, and he calls his people his new temple. Without the resurrection on Sunday, there's nothing good about Good Friday. It was just a tragedy. Paul goes on in this passage in 1 Corinthians talking about the resurrection. He says this, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all those who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there's an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, and then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. What Paul's getting at here is is that through Jesus' resurrection, God's plan of renewing his creation has begun. He's the first fruits of the harvest in Paul's language. Since the moment that humanity fell into sin back in the garden, God has been working to restore and renew his creation. A creation that's been tainted by sin and the the sinfulness of humanity. But God has been at work. 
And God's intention is to be with his creation. And his intention is to welcome them back into relationship with them. And to wash it clean from the stain that sin has brought about in it. And if Jesus has been raised from the dead, it means that renewal has begun. Jesus as the first fruits and we're the rest of the harvest that comes after God's intention is to restore us and resurrect us with bodies that are untainted by sin. Jesus' bodily resurrection is the first of that. And he says, when he returns, we will all be raised bodily into a new physical life with him for eternity in a new heavens and new earth that he is bringing about. It shows us that God's future is becoming a reality. Where which will one day culminate in this new heavens and new earth where where God says in Revelation, I am making all things new. Man, isn't that what we long for? Man, when we look at the news, when we look at our own hearts, for God to make all things new, for what he did in Jesus to be applied and lived out in the rest of creation. Now here's what's important for us this morning. Is that isn't just a hope in a far off thing someday in the future. But Paul talks about this resurrected life, this this renewal that Jesus is the first fruits of of being coming to take place and being part of our reality of life right now. Let, Let me point to you in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. He says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. It means our our new life doesn't wait until we die or until Christ comes back uh, and and we're, we're all physically resurrected. It begins now. A new life has begun. A life where we are filled with God's power and his presence. His his spirit living with us and in us. Like we, we get to live a new kind of life now because of the resurrection that wasn't available before. Where God actually is going to dwell in us by his spirit. Where his spirit is going to guide us and convict us and shape us in a way that we can't do that ourselves. We have the presence and power of God dwelling in us. We can live a life in light of the resurrected Jesus with the Spirit empowering us. The the, the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you, Paul says in Romans. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit within you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is dwelling in you if you are a follower of Christ. This is a new kind of life now. Let's keep reading. Verse 18. And all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to himself. With great power comes great responsibility, said Uncle Ben. Here Paul is saying what it means to live this new life. To be empowered 
and to be indwelt by the presence and power of God by his Holy Spirit means that we're part of the family business now. It means that we are to join God in his work of reconciling the world to himself. The resurrection is meant to be shared. If, if we find Jesus compelling and convincing that he is who he says he is and that he did what he said he did, I bet someone else will too. Like, sometimes we feel like we need to package Jesus in this, like, easy-to-swallow package to, to give to people so that, you know, they might be convinced this time. Man, I think Jesus is winsome. I think the man who the night that he was betrayed washed his disciples' feet, including Judas's, is compelling. I think the God who created us, who comes in the flesh and dies on behalf of his sinful creation, is compelling. And I think there is enough evidence to believe in the literal reality of Christ's bodily react, uh, resurrection to be compelling. We don't need to package it in such a fancy way, like... Just point people to Jesus and let's get out of the way. And there are going to be times where we do get in the way by our actions and our attitudes and us being so churchy and too churchy for our own good. And that's where we need to be reminded that there's a reason Jesus died for us. We're called to be part of the work of reconciling people to Jesus, to point people to who he is and what he did and the reality of his resurrection. The Easter isn't just about this, oh, I feel good about this thing that happened. But if this event actually changes the course of history, man, I want people to know. I want people to hear. We might seem crazy to people for believing that a man rose from the dead. And that's understandable because people don't just rise from the dead. Which is what makes this the thing that it is. Like we're not claiming that everyone just rises from the dead. And like, this guy changes everything. We might seem outdated and backward and gullible. But my prayer that in the midst of us seeming superstitious or gullible or anti-intellectual for people... Man, I pray that people would see the renewal of Christ's resurrection in us anyway. That people would see us as people changed by the resurrection and the power of Jesus. That we would come across as Easter people, if nothing else. That people wouldn't be able to deny the fact that the resurrected Jesus is, is seen in us. The one that we sing about the one that we, we read about his resurrection, the one that we pray to and worship, the one who we are we're striving by the Spirit to make him the center of our lives. The people would see him in us. The people would be pointed to him and they might experience the power of the resurrection too. That's what this is about. This is why we're here. This is why when we go from here today, we're going as Easter people. Not because it's a funny phrase, but because that's what marks us. And that's the job we have. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that despite the cross that you suffered, you 
you won the victory of resurrection. That death and sin doesn't hold ultimate sway, you do. And Jesus, if that's the case, you're the one I want to follow. You're the one I want to give my life to. And Jesus, I'm, I'm weak and I'm frail and I have my doubt and unbelief and my sin. But would you help me and those like me here in this room to, to by the power of your spirit, be those who show the power of the resurrection, who live in the power of the resurrection. God, as we go from here into the, the Easter dinners and the, the time with family and Easter egg hunts or whatever it looks like, God, help us to cut through the, the holiday of it all to be those marked by resurrection. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing and worship together.